So we are in Romans chapter 12, as we've been in for a little while. We find ourselves in verse 9, and we'll cover verses 9 through 13. There it is. Thank you, Alex. Living sacrifice, love for one another. All right, please follow along with me as we read verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. It's the word of God. Allow me to pray for us. Uh, as we begin this evening. Lord God, we ask for your grace as we approach your word, that you would give us understanding. Lord, I pray you would convict our hearts, not just to do better, but to worship you, to live for you because of your great love towards us. God, show us your love. And Lord, I pray we'd be moved to love others in the same way. God, I ask that you would be with us tonight, that your message would be clear and correct, that you would change us tonight, and that we'd be worshiping you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Something that not uh, everyone knows about me, some of you guys do, uh, I don't really listen to music that much. Uh, a lot of people that ask, like, oh, what's your, you know, what are you listening to these days? What's your favorite band or whatever? I don't really have an answer. Um, and it's maybe surprising to some because I, I play music, um, but I don't really listen to music. I'm not really into music. Um, I just happen to play it. Um, but the, it's not that I hate music or, like, you know, I strongly dislike it. I just don't get around to it. I don't know. I'm not that interested. But the one thing that is interesting to me about music is that there are so many different styles and genres of music. And I do love that and I appreciate that. I, I, I do think it's, it's very fascinating to, to see the variety uh, and the diversity of music. And really, I like, I like all genres and types of music, uh, except country, because that's not a, a music. Uh, but, but otherwise, I say, sorry, Kaylee. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I love all music, because um, country doesn't count. In any case, a, a common theme that occurs, I think, in just about every music genre, and also occurs in country stuff, is the subject of love. It, it's, it's everywhere, almost regardless of what the genre is. I know, in country, whatever you call it. It's definitely about love and how they love their dog and they love their tractor and things like yeah, that. I, it's weird. In any case, more, more I think than any other subject in the world, love is the most popular subject that's sung about. At least in the brief research that I did, it seemed to have been the number one in, in every genre of song titles or, or subjects in songs. It's about love. I mean, thousands and thousands of songs written about love. People want to know what love is. 
People want to hear about love. People want to feel love. People are interested in love. And while there's so much interest surrounding love, I think it's obvious to most that love is not usually easy. It's not always easy to receive love. It's not always easy to feel love. It's certainly not always easy to show love. And on top of that, it's not always easy to define love. There's a song, I think, called I Want to Know What Love Is. Right? <laughs> yeah. to, it, it's not always easy to understand love. And, and while the world has a lot to say about love, so does the Bible. And, and when we are seeking to understand love, and we're seeking to understand what it means and what it looks like, we must look to the Word of God. For God is love, says 1 John 4, 8. So here in this passage, we, we see love. And we see both the nature and we see the practice of love. Paul has entered the section in his letter now on spiritual living, living for the sake of Christ in light of the gospel. And he begins, you remember, in chapter 12 by saying that we are to live sacrificially to God, to offer up our lives to Christ, to not be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of our minds. You might remember that in the first couple of verses. And then we looked at last week that God equips us to do that, equips us with the means to live a sacrificial life. How? Through the various spiritual gifts that he's given to every believer. And now, coming off of spiritual gifts, he now talks about the love that we need to have for one another, for other believers. It's his emphasis here. In a lot of ways, this, this somewhat mirrors the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, he wrote 1 Corinthians about a year or so earlier than this. And in 1 Corinthians 12... Paul discusses various gifts of the body, spiritual gifts, and explaining that we are members, all different members, but part of one body. That was 1 Corinthians 12. And then the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love, right? The, the great love chapter. And he talks about the importance of love in the body of Christ. And we see a similar thing here. Here in Romans 12, he lists various gifts we looked at last week. Explains, remember, that we are many members of one body. Remember that last week? And then now here in verse 9, he talks about love and the importance of love in the body of Christ. Very similar. And it's no coincidence, I think, that in both cases, in 1 Corinthians and here in Romans, immediately following talking about spiritual gifts, Paul jumps right into love and the love that we must have towards one another. Because living sacrificially for God, serving others with spiritual gifts, is all worthless if it's done without love. For Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we could do all of these great things. He says, he says we, could, we could speak in tongues. We could, we could have faith that move mountains. We could give up everything in our lives. We could even give up our own lives to death. But he says if we do not have love then it's nothing. It's nothing. You see, we, we, we cannot get so caught up in, in the doing and, and the external and the gifts. All those are of great importance. But done so without love, 
They are empty. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the defining characteristic of the Christian. And the Christian is committed to live out their lives in love. They go hand in hand. And so Paul addresses now, remember the context, that in light of the gospel, in light of how we are to live sacrificially to God, in light of using our spiritual gifts, we must have love for one another. And in these five verses, Paul defines the nature of love, what it looks like. And Paul shows nine ways in which the Christian can practice and live out love towards one another. So tonight, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at the nature of love and the practice of love. All right, let's see. Do I have it? I do not. Okay. I can, I can tell by all the giggling going on. The first main point is the nature of love. Verse 9. The nature of love is our first main point here. There are three subpoints to this. If you're taking notes, since I don't have a visual this evening. The nature of love, the first thing we see is that love is genuine. Love is genuine. He says it right there in verse 9. Let love be genuine. The first thing we must notice about this love, when he says the love is genuine, is the type of love that Paul is describing here. What love is he saying? There are four common types of love in the Greek in which it is written. One in which refers to family love. One in which refers to friendship love. One in which is sexual love. And then there's this love, which is agape love. Some of you are familiar. Agape love is the love in which God has for his people. Agape love is pure, it is genuine, it is unchanging, it is sacrificial. This is the love he uses here. Agape. Let agape be genuine. Let that love be genuine. And this is the way that God loves his people. An agape love. God's love for all Christians. It is perfect. It is unchanging. It is unearned. It is sacrificial. It is unconditional. That is God's agape love towards Christians. It is unearned. God's love is unearned in the sense that we cannot do anything to obtain it. God doesn't love us once we've hit a, a certain criteria of being lovable. And now we're lovable, so he loves us. No, God loves us by his grace. We do not earn his love. We cannot. It is impossible. This agape love is unearned. It is sacrificial. It is sacrificial that God sent his son to die in our place. God shows his love towards us in great ways. And in more ways than we even know or we even acknowledge. But one way in which we do know is by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. You see, his love for us is not cheap. It cost the life of his son. Christ died so that we may be reconciled. So that we would be at peace with God. It is unconditional. It is it's unchanging. And that it remains constant. No matter our performance. If, if we live these, these great, sacrificial, committed lives to Christ. His love for us does not increase. And if, if the Christian lives this, this flat, sinful life to Christ. God's love for him does not decrease. You see, our, our performance does not change God's love for us. It is unchanging. 
See, God has an agape love for his people. And this is the same kind of love that God's people are to emulate as well. Being loved by God in this way, we ought to have an agape love towards others. And in theory, this this love might sound great. But in practice, it's very difficult. And when you realize the implications of what it means to show this kind of love and a godly love to others, in a lot of ways it does not seem appealing. This love is so unselfish. This love is so sacrificial. It is so so self-giving to others that, that back in this culture, that this kind of love, this agape love, it was looked down upon. It was mocked. It was seen as as a sign of weakness. Why would you sacrifice yourself and give up so much for the sake of someone else? Even someone who's who's unlovable, someone who's ill-deserving, why would you give yourself up for them? This love says, I will meet the needs of someone else despite the cost of myself. I will do whatever necessary for their sake. That's this love. But that's agape love. Christian, are you marked with this kind of love? Christian, are you marked with agape love? This is the love that God has shown you. And you are now called to show the same love toward one another. Do you love others with an agape love? A sacrificial love for others? Or do you only love when it's convenient for you? Do you only love when it's advantageous to you? And Paul says that this love is genuine. This agape love is genuine. And the word for genuine is defined as without hypocrisy or, or without a mask. Because the, the word for hypocrisy refers to the ways that, that the Greek theaters would, would put on a mask and pretend to be something that they are not. That they, they, they are playing a part. That they, they, they are acting this, this word for genuine is saying to not be hypocritical, to not be wearing a mask. That's what it's saying. Our love is to be genuine, to put down the mask, to stop pretending, and instead to be real. And we may confess with our mouths, oh yeah, I love, I love everyone. I have, I have no problem with them. I have no problem with others. But in your heart, you do not love them. You put on this mask of, hey, brother, how's it going? Hey, yeah. But there's no genuine love for that. Do you have a genuine agape love for others? Or do you have a, a hypocritical love? A love that, that appears good on the outside, that has this mask, but in reality you are hiding behind a mask that we call love. See, hypocrisy and and true agape love, they cannot coexist at the same time. They they are in complete contrast and contradiction to each other. Because a hypocritical love is that which is fake and selfish, has ulterior motives. Whereas agape love is genuine. It It is selfless and has other person's interests in mind above their own. What kind of love are you characterized by? By a genuine, agape love? Or by a hypocritical love? 
Christian, are you not glad that God's love for you is an agape love and not a hypocritical love? Thank God that we can trust what his word says about us and what it says about him and about his love towards us. It is genuine. It is agape. It is not hypocritical. Let that love motivate you to have that same love towards others. Not a hypocritical love that is dishonest and fake, but instead a genuine love that is sacrificial and has the other person's interest in mind over your own. All right, so that's the first thing we see over here. Okay, is the nature of love, that love is genuine. The second thing we see in the nature of love is that love hates evil. Still in verse 9, it says, Abhor, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Paul says that. Abhor what is evil. In the Greek text, abhor is, is a participle linking to the previous statement describing that love abhors what is evil. That it hates it. Love hates evil. True, genuine love. Love that is like God's love does not love everything. But it does hate. It hates what is evil. The Christian hates evil because God hates evil. If you have the love of God, that means you love as God loves and you love what God loves. And God hates evil. God hates what is sinful. For sin goes directly against God. Sin robs God of his glory. Sin insults God. So why would we, Christian, want anything to do with sin? Why would we want anything to do with evil? Should we not hate this as well? And yet, Christian, do we not sometimes love what God hates? Do we not sometimes love our sin? Do we not sometimes love the sinful things of this world? Is not our love for sin sometimes greater than our love to obey God. That's why we choose to sin. Because we love it more than we love obedience. But Christian, let it not be so. Hate your sin. Want nothing to do with it. Why even entertain any kind of sin in your life? Sometimes we, we try to get so close to sin while, while still being on the right side of the fence, right? Like if here's the fence of sin, oh, that's sin over there. Well, let me just get right up to the fence so I'm still good, but I'm not sinning. I hear way too often when, 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 when young Christians get into relationships together or, 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 or when Christians, they, they hang out with, with their non-Christian friends or whatever it might be, and they ask this question, well, is it sinful to blank? Well, is it sinful for us to kiss? Oh, is it sinful for me to go here with them? Is it sinful for this? Is it sinful for that? That's the wrong question. Why are you so interested in going as far as you can, just butting up against sin, but still being in the clear? The question should not be, is this sinful? The question ought to be, is this glorifying to God? That's our goal. Our goal is not just well, can I get so close but it not be sin? Our goal is, 
Let me glorify God in everything I do. We must be careful, Christian, in the way in which we walk in this world. And I'm not suggesting that we are to be like the Pharisees and and create these extra rules and regulations and judge others and judge our standing with God based on these man-made rules. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we need to be careful not to fall into the traps of evil. I'm saying that we are to hate evil and we should want nothing to do with it. Christians too often say that they love what God loves and they hate what God hates and yet they walk hand in hand with the evil in this world. Do not think that that you can flirt with evil, that, that you can have partnership with evil and not fall to sin. The Christian is called to love those in the world. Yes. The Christian is called to evangelize to the lost. Yes. The, the, the Christian is not called to isolation. But we must be careful and wise and discerning how we go about living a Christ-centered life in a Christ-hating world. Do not think, Christian, that you can live in a Christ-hating world living the same way as a non-Christian and not be affected by it. We must be on guard. And we must be wise. Think about it this way. Think of... Think of all of of, of the great, wonderful doctors and nurses that we have. Praise God for them. And they are in the front line, right? These doctors, these nurses, I mean, they are in the front line. They are getting up close and personal with with the sick, with the nasty, with those that, that carry diseases, some even very deadly diseases. And the doctors and the nurses will get up real close to them. And thank God for them that that they're able to reach out in love and extend care to these who are sick, who need it. But these doctors and these nurses, they do not just blindly and ignorantly just look the other way towards these diseases and, and, and these risks and just be like, oh, well, these don't exist. No. On the contrary, what they... They take great precautions and procedures to protect themselves from the diseases lest they too become infected. When you interact with the world, are you taking precautions lest you too fall? Or are you fellowshipping the world with absolutely no precautions? Do you walk as they walk? Do you live as they live? Do you go just head in to the Christ-hating world with blinders on thinking that it requires no thoughtfulness, no discernment, no sacrifices? We are in spiritual warfare. Are you on guard? Don't think that just because you are a Christian, you, you are suddenly immune to the infection of evil. Be mindful of, of where your affections are going. Be mindful of where your love is being directed. Is your love turned to the things of God? They ought to be. Or is your love being turned to evil? To the things of this world? Christian, we must abhor what is evil. We must hate it. And not say, I hate evil, but then fellowship with evil. What does your relationship with evil look like? 
I hope it's a hostile relationship. Are you and evil good friends? Are you and evil secret lovers? What's your relationship with evil? My hope is that you are at war with evil. That you hate evil and you want nothing to do with the evil in your life. Abhor evil. Hate what is evil. Next, love holds on to good. Love is genuine. Love hates evil. And love holds on to good. If love hates what is evil, it does not stop there. But it must also hold on fast to what is good. The word for hold fast is the word to cling. It's, it's actually the same word for glue or, or, or something to, to bond together like an epoxy. Okay? The, the idea is that love clings to, like glue, it holds fast to what? To what is good. It's similar actually to what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. He said, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The Christian is to discern what they are to love, to discern with wisdom what is evil and what is good. And through that discernment, the Christian is to act accordingly, to not love what is evil, but instead to love and to hold fast to what is good. What is it that you hold fast to? What do you cling to? Sometimes we cling to our sin. We cling to what is evil. and Oh, we don't want to let go of that sin. We don't want to let go to what is evil. Sometimes we cling to our idols. And we don't want to let go of our idols. But instead, we ought to cling on to what is good. We ought to hold fast to what honors and what glorifies God. Let your love cling to what is good, not to what is evil. Are you discerning what it is that you are to love? Are you discerning what it is you are to hate? Does your love and your hatred towards things, does it match that of God? Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? Or does it match that of the world? Is there a difference in your affection? Is there a difference in what you support? Is there a difference in what you find acceptable and what you find not acceptable? Do you love what God loves? Do you hate what God hates? Or do you love what he hates? And do you hate what he loves? What are the things that you love? What are the things that you hate? Direct your heart to be aligned with God's heart. Not be in contention or, or contradiction to God's heart, but aligned, in agreement. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So that's the nature of love in which you see in verse 9. And now we see the practice of love, verse 10 and 11. Now that Paul's briefly defined the nature of love, that it's genuine, that it hates evil, that it holds fast to what is good, as we just seen in verse 9. Now Paul lists nine ways, some say ten, I'm going to say nine, in which the Christian can practice and live out this love towards other people. This is when we're going rapid fire. I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. We have, we have nine points. I warned you. Okay, here we go. The first one we see. Show brotherly love. Ah, awkward. Show brotherly love toward one another. Show brotherly love 
toward one another. Now earlier, remember, Paul used agape love to describe this genuine love Christians are to possess. But here, Paul uses two other types of love. Philostragos, which means devoted, and Philadelphia, which means a city that just lost in the Super Bowl. No, which means brotherly love. What Paul is saying is that we ought to be devoted and we ought to love one another like family. And indeed, brothers and sisters in Christ are a family. Regardless of race or skin color or, 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 or wealth or homeschooled or real school, it doesn't matter. Regardless if, if we have similar interests or, or, or we have nothing alike, regardless if, if we like that other person or not, it doesn't matter. We are the family of God. And we are to be devoted to love each other as family. And in some ways... I'm speaking to the Christian. All this is about the Christian. In some ways, we're even closer. Because the bond found in the blood of Christ is a stronger bond than found in human blood. You understand that? I mean, Christian, we will spend eternity with one another. We share something greater than anyone else can share. And that is the blood of Christ. We are saying to one another that our greatest and our deepest love is the same. I mean, me and Kaylee here, we're both saying, hey, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty different. But, you, but what's the same is, is our core, the deepest part of both of our lives, of both me and Kaylee. We both say Jesus is everything. He's everything to me. The deepest part of my heart belongs to him. You too? Me too. That's a strong bond. We are family, and we are to love one another as such. Sometimes I think Christians just, just treat each other like we're part of the same social club. Hey, you go to church? Hey, I go to church too. What? We're not part of a social club. We are purchased by the blood of Christ. We are adopted into the family of God. We are family. So be devoted to one another and brotherly affection. Next, I was told we had to fly through this. Show honor to others over self. What does he say exactly? He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm saying show honor to others over self. The idea behind this is that love will lead the way in showing honor or appreciation towards others. Not looking for the compliments for self, but looking to lead the way in showing honor to others. Love is genuineness. It's not hypocritical, hypocritical compliments. It's not flattering words in order to receive praise back. It is in humility showing genuine care and appreciation to others. It is putting them before yourself. It is Philippians 2, 3 through 4, which says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Are you leading the way to acknowledge, to encourage, to honor others? Even if it means you don't get any recognition at all. Or are you seeking the praise? Are you jealous? Are you envious when others receive honor and you don't? You're left out. 
No, but I'm the one who really did all the work. Don't lead the way in seeking to honor self. That's self-love. Instead, have a love for others. And in doing so, seek their honor over your own. Next, don't be lazy in what you ought to be doing. Don't be lazy in what you ought to be doing. That is found in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be lazy in what you ought to be doing. It's similar to what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Christian, do you ever feel weary of doing good? I do. It's tiring. It's hard to keep doing what is right. Day in and day out. Putting off sin. Putting on holiness. Saying no to sin. Saying yes to obedience. Denying self. Picking up the cross daily. It's tiring. And we can become easily discouraged. But out of the love that God has for you. And a way in which you can show love to others. Be diligent. Don't be lazy in doing what you ought to do. Be zealous for good works is what he's saying. Serve the Lord with enthusiasm and passion. Don't just do the things that you ought to do out of obligation with, with a begrudging attitude. Just dragging your feet. Oh, I just, I'm just doing what I got to do. But be zealous for the work of the Lord, he's saying. Don't grow weary, but keep on keeping on. Renew yourself with the gospel so that your affection for the Lord may be renewed. That's why I need the gospel daily so that I remember the great work of Christ and so I do not grow weary in loving and serving Him. It's amazing how zealous and diligent we can be in our pursuit for other things. Some of you guys, I've seen your mansions in Minecraft. My goodness. And praise God, they're great. But we spend so much time and and energy on other things. We become so enthusiastic for, for other things in the world. But when it comes to the greatest calling in the world, when it comes to the greatest privilege of all of following Jesus, we can often do so passively and lazily. And apathetically, or even hardly at all. The greatest call in the world. And there's no passion. Don't grow lazy in doing the work of the Lord. Be diligent in doing what you ought to do. And what is it that you ought to do? Well, in short, love God and love others. These are the two greatest commandments. And in this context, I believe that's what Paul is referring to, of loving one another. And remember the words of the Lord, our Savior. He says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Did you catch that? That doesn't sound lazy. That sounds zealous. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Not some. Not the leftovers. All. Be zealous for doing what God has called you to do. Next, overflow a godly spirit. He says, be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. 
overflow of the godly spirit. Paul says be fervent in spirit. The word for fervent is the verb that means to boil over. That's why I said overflow. To boil over. And not boil over like an angry spirit. Like, oh, wow, you're really boiling over. Not like that. But boil over. It's like an overflowing, a bubbling over. He says to be fervent, be overflowing, be bubbling over in spirit. Now, what does he mean by spirit? I don't believe he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Although some take it that way. It's not a a bad way to take it. Uh, The ESV does not take it that way. That's why you'll notice that spirit is lowercase. I I believe this is talking about the the inward attitude. As in your your demeanor, your personality, your, your drive, your spirit. That spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, but your spirit. In the context, I believe Paul is saying that love overflows a godly spirit. That when you love others, your spirit, your attitude, your demeanor ought to be overflowing. Let your love not be a flat, dutiful love. While love is sacrificial for us, it ought to be done with a fervent spirit. While love is an action, we cannot neglect the emotional commitment of our own spirit as well. Feel for those you love. Feel for them. Don't love out of a stale heart, but let your spirit be overflowing for them. Next, we see serve the Lord. It says it very clearly in verse 11. Serve the Lord. It seems so simple. seems so obvious. seems so basic. And yet it is necessary, it is essential, and it is too often missed. Serve the Lord. Sometimes Christians get so caught up in other spiritual things, in in doctrinal debates, in spiritual conversation, and whatever it may be, that they forfeit and leave behind the obvious, serving God. It becomes all this head knowledge, and it doesn't affect the heart, and it doesn't affect action. But in love, we are to serve the Lord. Christians have have many titles and and identities found in Christ. We see throughout Scripture, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are children of God. We are new creation. And so on. There's so many. But one of which is that we are slaves to Jesus Christ. Even Paul identifies himself as a slave to Christ many times. Philippians 1, Titus 1, even here in Romans 1, just to name a few. There's many others. A Christian is a slave to Christ. And as slaves of Christ, we are called to serve Him. We serve Him all the time, whenever He calls us to serve. Not just 9 to 5, but always. There's no clock in, clock out for a slave. You are at your master's call, always. And there's no clock in, clock out in serving Jesus. We serve Him, always. And we serve him in the ways in which he commands us. We don't pick and choose the ways we serve him. We serve him in the ways in which he says to serve him. We submit to his every word and obey his every command. And so in love, serve the Lord. And true love results in serving others. And ultimately in serving the Lord. Love for Christ is the fuel, it is the motive for why we serve the Lord. It's not out of duty. It's not for relational gain or advantage, but it is out of love. And it is the direct response and reaction that comes out of love. 
serve the Lord. Next, found in verse 12, rejoice in hope. Let me go popping you over there to the right, right out of the room. Rejoice in hope. Living a life of sacrifice of God, living up to this kind of love, will inevitably bring persecution, hardships, and trials in your life. This will produce difficulty. But it is the hope that keeps Christians persevering. What is this hope? This hope is an assurance of the promises of God. It is a confidence that God will keep and fulfill his word. Ultimately, it is hope in the gospel. It is knowing and understanding and remembering the truth of the gospel. Christian, our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is not in our circumstances changing. But our hope is in the promises of God's truths and his gospel. That we have been redeemed. That we have been set free. That we have been saved from our sins and the wrath of God. And we have eternal life with him. That is our hope. And Christian, we are to rejoice in this hope, he says. When difficulty arises, when when we receive persecution because of the sacrificial, loving way that we are living, we are to rejoice in the hope of the gospel. Do you rejoice? Do you love the gospel? Or have you gotten tired of the gospel? Is his grace not as amazing as it once was for you? Christian, rejoice in this hope. Rejoice in this hope and rejoicing in this hope. It makes all the difference in how we live our lives. Because when we set our minds on this hope, when we can rejoice in this hope, it gives us confidence and it gives us boldness and it gives us joy to live in a sacrificial and radical way for the Lord, knowing that whatever happens, whatever hardship it presents, it's okay. Because I rejoice in this hope. Christian, can you live like that? Can you live that boldly? Can you rejoice in the hope of the gospel and as a result live freely and boldly for the sake of Christ? Next, be patient in trials. There it is. Be patient in trials. This is the idea of persevering through the persecution and trials that you face. As you rejoice in hope in the midst of suffering, you can be patient through the trials, knowing and trusting God through it all. Sometimes it requires great patience. Because sometimes God allows us to endure suffering for a very long time. But through that suffering, Christian, we must be patient and we must trust God and trust his goodness and trust his promises and trust his power. And this hope in which we rejoice, it produces patience in us. And through it, we can persevere. And through it, we can trust in God's love and promises towards us. Do you trust God? Do you trust his perfect timing? Do you trust his perfect plan? Be patient in tribulation. And remember that God is good. Next, be constant in prayer. We're almost there. There's two more. Be constant in prayer. Paul says be constant in prayer or continuing in prayer or devoted to prayer. And I think this is a call and a challenge to many of us. It is to me. 
Because it's not that we don't ever pray, for most of us. We pray. But we often get tired of praying, do we not? We tend to neglect prayer. We are rarely constant in prayer. We rarely pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. But trials and persecution tend to bring us to our knees, and we become more constant in prayer. Because it often shows us our dependence on God. It often reveals to us how desperately we need God in all things at all times. But do not let trials be the reason you are constant in prayer. We should always be constant in prayer. Let the love of God bring you to your knees. And let your love for him and your love for others bring you to your knees in prayer. Be constant. Not just prayerful during routine times. Not just prayerful when doing church things. But be constant in prayer. Lastly, give to the needs of the believers. Of other believers, that's supposed to say. Give to the needs of other believers. Of other believers. It says in verse... 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This can be seen as two different a- actions of love, but I combine it at one. Because in the Greek, it's one thought. It, it would read more like, in regard to the need of the saints, participating, practicing hospitality. One thought. As Paul is talking about loving others, he is calling us to have a fellowship with one another, to have a koinonia with one another, to partner with one another in life, and as a result, to help those who are in need. You see, It's not limited to, to physical need. In fact, I don't think that's the emphasis here, although it certainly may include that, serving others and helping their physical needs, like we're going to do on the service day in a couple weeks. Yes, it's good, but it's not limited to that. Do you care for their spiritual needs, to their souls? We are to live in such a way with one another that we are partnering with one another in life. And we are taking care of each other's needs. We're not just living on these islands by ourselves. We're not just seeking our own needs. But in love, we are participating and caring for the needs of other believers. What are the needs of the saints? What are the needs of other believers? Do you know? Are you meeting those needs? Are you involved in a way in which you know the needs of other believers? Are you involved in a way in which extends love to others? I mean, really think about that question. Are you involved with the saints to be able to extend love to them and take care of their needs? Remember, we just talked about being different parts of the body of Christ just last week. Many members, but one body. If you are a Christian, how are you contributing to the needs of other believers? How are you involved in the body in such a way that extends the love of Christ to help the needs of others in the body of Christ? As we close, remember... Paul has now entered a new section in his letter to the Romans in which he talks about Christian living. That's where we are now, right? That's why it sounds very much like do this and do this and do this and love like this, love like this. 
He's talked about living sacrificially to God. He's talked about how God gives us the means to do that through spiritual gifts. And now he talks about the importance of love. That we aren't just to live sacrificially. We aren't just to exercise spiritual gifts. But we are to do these things in love. The Christian is to have love for other believers. And here we see Paul list nine ways in which we can put that love into action. Christian, does love define you? Does love define you? Is love a defining characteristic of who you are? If we are to understand ourselves, if we are to understand the love in which we have to show others, we must first understand the love of God. Christian, do not forget the deep love of God that is found in the gospel. Do not forget the first 11 chapters. Do not forget that we are ill-deserving of the love of God. And yet in his great grace, he has chosen to love us. Not because we're so great, but because he is so merciful. And he is so gracious. And he is so kind. And he is so loving. And God demonstrated his love to us by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Fully absorbing the wrath of God. On our behalf. Does God's love not move you? Does God's love not move you to love him and to love others? How can we be loved by God so much and yet not show love to others? Impossible. Remember the deep love of God and live out that same love to others. Agape love. And if you are not a Christian... Know that God's love is open to all. Yes, to you who doubt him. Yes, to you who continue to reject him. Yes, to you who have built up a resume of self-righteousness. God offers his love and his grace to sinners such as you and me. Will you accept his love? In faith, will you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf? And will you repent of your sins and receive the forgiveness of God? Will you accept the love of God? Ask that by His grace, He would grant this to you. Remember the gospel. Live sacrificially for God. Use the spiritual gifts that He's given you, Christian, and be marked by genuine love for one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you most of all for your love towards us. Lord, I pray that you would work in us to show the same love to others, to one another. God, I pray that our love would be a testimony to the world. Lord, most of all, I pray that our love would be glorifying to you. Help us love each other even here tonight in this group. To your glory, to your praise. In Christ's name, amen.